For years, Christians have celebrated the Advent, and you can turn me down just a little bit, as a time to celebrate the coming of Christ. And the origin of Advent is from the Latin word, which means Adventus, which simply translates as coming or arrival. Emmanuel, God with us, the long-anticipated hope of the one who is to come Promised by the prophets, the king in the line of David, the one born of the woman who is to crush the head of the serpent, the Messiah, the king, the savior. This is the one in which we hope. So uh, this year we're doing uh, kind of an Advent series as in the fourth and fifth century, they started doing this in churches and celebrating the four weeks leading up to Christmas with these uh, four words, hope and peace and joy and love and, and lighting a candle for each week leading up to Christmas Eve in which we'll light the middle candle, the Christ candle, and then we'll light all of our candles together. So I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Legjack and his wife Mimi to come up and they're going to light the hope candle, which is what we will be talking about today, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. So this is exciting, and um, I'm going to have the leg jacks. Would you guys light this first candle for us as we celebrate these next four weeks, the coming King, Jesus Christ. So they're going to light this, this candle right now. Pray for us as we light it. Yes, yes, Mimi. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ, and thank you that we are, that the coming light has come to us in the form of baby born in a manger. Lord, we are thankful for hope that we have that is not based upon a whim or but is based upon your promises and lord we pray that uh, today we will all walk out of this room with the hope that we have in the lord jesus christ in jesus name we pray amen thank you leg jacks we appreciate that I, many of you might not know it's it's actually time for children's church so we're going to do that right now so if you're pre-k through third grade, you guys can come down and head out with Miss Grace. She is down here. If you have not checked in, would you please check in with Miss Grace up here with your child so we can check them out. They will be in the gym after service and you can check them out as well. And by the way, uh, we do have um, Dr. Legjack just returned from Gambia. I did want to mention this. Um, he is with what is called the African Christian Fellowship. And um, they meet on Saturdays with uh, people that are from Africa. They're excited to head out. I know this, but uh, <coughs> but yes. But so they meet on Saturdays, and they have been challenged to reach the country of Gambia. And Dr. Legjack, representing that fellowship, went to Gambia this week 
And uh, incredibly, I talked to him this week and then Nimi as well, but incredibly, the Lord has opened so many doors uh, for him not only to work with the pastors in Gambia, but to, to reach the whole country for Christ. Just so proud of him to go to a country that he's never been to, nor does he have any contacts in, to go and assess the situation, to see where God is at work and where he can move and be able to come up with a plan to reach the entire nation for Christ. So, uh, Dr. Legjack, we're excited and we're praying with you on your endeavor to reach the country of Gambia. But that's just one of our church members who the Lord has put in a passion and amazing work um, that he will do in Gambia and um, that fellowship will do. Hopefully we can partner with them and help in any way that we can. But... We come to the advent, right, and the waiting, the arrival of the coming of Christ. And um, it's interesting that Christmas lands in this time, um, Christmas 22nd through the 25th, is actually the darkest days in the northern hemisphere. And so Christians began celebrating what we call Christmas to remind us that even in the darkest days, The light of God has come. Amen? And so in this Christmas, that's kind of our hope and prayer, is that you're reminded of hope. That God has not forgotten you in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. Maybe it's the darkest days of your life that there is a God who knows you. And that light is coming. Hope is more than just optimism. Being optimistic is, is merely choosing how to see, how, how, how to see it work, how it, how it could work out for the best. It's, it's better than being pessimistic, certainly, or thinking to yourself, how bad can this go all the time? That's, that's pessimistic, but optimism says, how good could it go? But the Christian hope is more than just optimism. The Christian hope is not a mere wish. You know, when you drop a penny in a fountain, I, I wish for a horse, right? Like as a little kid, you, you, you might wish for something like that. You drop a penny in a fountain, I, I wish for a horse. No, that's not the Christian hope. The Christian hope is described in the Old Testament and throughout the scriptures as waiting. And an anticipation for a better future. An anticipation that that there is a future that is better than the present. It's an expectation. The Christian hope is expectant based upon the faithfulness of God. Based upon the faithfulness that God has shown in the past, that he will act in the future and bring hope for the future. And Psalm chapter 130 is a psalm of hope. It has been a famous uh, and favorite psalm for many famous biblical theologians throughout history. Augustine, on his deathbed, had people read the penitent psalms, such as Psalm 51 
in Psalm 130. Psalm 130 was one of John Calvin and John Owen's favorite psalms. Martin Luther called Psalm 130 a Pauline psalm. We know that Paul didn't write the psalms, but he called it that because the emphasis was on the Lord's forgiveness and his unfailing love and his full redemption. So the gospel was so evident in in the Pauline epistles that Martin Luther called Psalm 130 a Pauline psalm because he felt like Paul derived a lot of his teachings from Psalm 130. But it was John Wesley in his conversion experience in May 24th, 1738. He was an Anglican pastor who was unsaved at the time as a pastor. And while someone was reading Martin Luther's introduction to the book of Romans, he says this in his own words, about a quarter before nine, I don't know what they were doing at 8.30 at night in church, I'm not sure. But he was describing the change in which God works in the heart through faith in Christ. He said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for salvation. An assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And that's what happened while they were reading the introduction to the commentary from Martin Luther on Romans. But what most people don't know is that earlier in the morning, that Sunday morning, he was stirred by the singing, you guessed it, of Psalm chapter 130. He said, when he heard the psalm sung, Psalm 130, he could not even stand because it struck him so great. So my prayer this morning is while reading this psalm that God would move you just as he has the giants of the faith in the past to bring you hope through the gospel as the psalmist reminds us of the faithfulness of God and bringing to us what we all need most even during this season, that which is hope. So let's read Psalm chapter 130 together as the people of God, and we'll stand in honor of reading God's word as we read this psalm, this ever-important psalm that brings hope to our hearts and our minds. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord 
For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. You can be seated. Father, as we come before you, Father, we ask that you would speak to us in your word and your truth, that we would be a people who hear from you this morning what you want to speak to us about. And Father, as the psalmist says, we wait for the Lord more than watchmen in the morning. May we be people who wait expectantly for the Lord to work not only in our lives but also the lives of our loved ones, the lives of the people in our communities, in our homes, in our workplaces, and throughout the world. Father, we know that you are a great God and you have shown your steadfast love many, many times. And we just pray, Father, that we would be a people whose eyes are open, their ears to hear what you have to speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In 1966, some of you may have been around, but others may not have. We did a Hanging of the Green service here on December 4th. It was 9.30 p.m. I don't know what it is with this late night uh, church services. Something happens around here. But it was December 4th, 1966 at Northwest Baptist. But it was a wonderful celebration of singing Christmas carols, a 220-member choir. You can envision that. And the last candle was blown out. The candle over here, I'm I'm just going to watch it for a little bit just to make sure nothing happens. But... The last candle was blown out. The last echoes of Silent Night were stilled, and they were never to be heard of again in that building. Shortly after midnight, a spark, a no longer dormant, sprang to life, giving birth to an inferno, which in four hours consumed that which had taken 36 years for loving hands and strong souls to build 200 firemen fought without injury until the mist-shrouded dawn dimly revealed that they had only saved a few small buildings. Lost were the sanctuary, the offices, the equipment, the fellowship hall, the steeple, all the education space, and countless items. We had a few years ago when we did the 90-year celebration, uh, somebody caught wind that we were kind of celebrating Um, 90 years of the church, and we were talking about some of these aspects of the history of Northwest in 1966. The church had burned down, and somebody called the office. Brenda answered the phone one day, and he said, hey, I have to confess that I was the one that burned the church down. And uh, literally, he called, and he said, I was a young boy and had lit a small fire in a drain with leaves, and it must have caught, I, I thought I'd put it out, but it didn't, and, um, and it must have caught fire, and, and, and it burnt the whole church down, um, interestingly enough. But at the end of the, the church um, time, during that time period, um, the insurance nowhere near covered the losses, um, and it would be the church 
through a series of events, great leadership, and trusting in the Lord God and his faithfulness that the church would rebuild. Um, God would show his steadfast love time and time again, and he has since I've been here, to his church, to the people of God, to the body that meets at 23rd and Drexel. And God, if you've read our history, you'll see it time and time again. God, in his steadfast love, even in our weaknesses, God shows himself faithful. I tell you that story to remind you that even in our short history of 93 years, we are reminded of God's faithfulness to us. Maybe you have a story like that. In which God has shown his faithfulness to you, even amidst a very difficult and trying time. Maybe you are in that waiting, right? You are in that time period in which you're waiting in expectation of the Lord to work, but it has not yet happened. You're in a time that seems to be without hope. And you're wondering, can God act and will he act? The great story of God's faithfulness, you see, is seen in the meta-narrative of the scriptures. The long-awaited one who's coming to bring about salvation to mankind, they waited a long time for him to come. Israel had waited for their Messiah The good news of great joy, Christ, the Lord, who is born in Bethlehem. You see, this is why we have hope. Because God has shown his faithfulness in the past and he will show it again in the future. Why? Because our God is steadfast. So let us enter the psalm this morning and find a tense expectation of God's work in our lives. The beginning of the psalm, in Psalm chapter 130, it begins with this, a song of ascent. It's a subtitle in which it celebrated the new exodus and return from exile as people came back from Babylon and entered into Jerusalem. These 15 songs were sung by pilgrims on their way to the city of God, Jerusalem, where God's presence dwelt among mankind. And they would sing these songs as they ascended into Jerusalem, up to the Temple Mount, into the presence of God. Most likely, Jesus and his disciples would have sung this psalm as they went into Jerusalem, recounting God's faithfulness. As a song of ascent, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. This is our first point this morning, and it's thus. In the depths of darkness, without hope, we must 
cry out to God. In the depths of darkness without hope, we must cry out to God. Did you know that you cannot save yourself? Did you know that? In a world trying to tell you that self-help is your answer, the Bible describes God's cure for your guilt, your shame, and your sin. Crying out to God. Crying out to God. Psalm chapter 40 verse 1 describes this crying out. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth and a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. What the psalmist says here is, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Out of the depths, the psalmist reminds us, the deepest, darkest places. Some of us are experiencing deep loss right now. We've lost loved ones in our body this week, Karen Hackett and Marlene Reese. Some of you are experiencing a season of sense of hopelessness. A season mixed with holiday cheer, but there's not a lot of that flowing in your hot chocolate mug right now. There's not a lot of cheer there. And there are even some who are just stuck. They're stuck in their sin. Sin that either you become hardened to or you write off as no big deal. Sin that may even stick to you like flypaper. And you're just trying to shake it off. Yet it keeps coming back. The Bible character that, that comes to mind when I think of someone in the depths of darkness is Jonah. His choices and running from the Lord, bringing him to the depths. The depths of a place that is without hope. And what does he do in the depths of the sea? Well, let me read for you what it says in Jonah chapter 2. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. This is the cry of the, of the one in the depths of despair. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, they would describe these depths as in the waters. That's exactly what Jonah did. He went to the depths of the ocean, and he cried out to the Lord. This is what we are called to do. If you're here th this morning and you're in the depths of despair, God wants you and desires for you to cry out to him. Verse 2, it says this, O oh Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. The word attentive, it hardly, hardly appears anywhere in Scripture except for Nehemiah. 
as he pleads for God to hear his prayers of his confession and need for himself and the people. Nehemiah chapter 1-6 is Nehemiah's prayer to the Lord. Let your ears be attentive, your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I, my father's house, have sinned. So the cry in Psalm chapter 130 is from a person who is a heartbroken over their sin. They're pleading to the Lord for mercy. The psalmist then says, there is no one who can stand if the Lord counted all his sins. Verse 3, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? If God produced a report of what you thought, of what you said, or what you did that did not reflect his character or his nature, in just one football game, right? You would know how far you are from where the Lord has designed you to be. But we all truly miss the mark, all of us. And that's why this next word in verse 4 is so powerful. It says, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared, but with you there is forgiveness. Spurgeon said, none fear the Lord like those who have experienced his forgiving love. Forgiveness is a very powerful and meaningful thing. It brings about a fear of the Lord in someone's heart. Forgiveness of sin by God himself brings about a reverence or an awe of God. So this hope that drives these next few verses is coming from the depths of the cry to the God Almighty who forgives sinners. Let me ask you this question. What do you expect God to do in your life? What do you expect God to do? I believe the amount of hope that one has or the expectation that God will act in someone's life directly correlates to their prayer life. You see, God is a God who wants to forgive. He is a God who wants to act. But we must cry out in the depths of our weakness, in the depths of our sin, in the depths of our depravity. And God is still faithful even in our unfaithfulness. Let's go to verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. This is point number two this morning. God's faithfulness 
in the past provides hope for the future. God's faithfulness in the past provides hope for the future. There are two Hebrew words <coughs> that describe wait, and they both also mean hope. Interestingly enough, hope and waiting is, is used uh, multiple times in the Hebrew text. Both are here as the psalmist uses keva and yahel. Keva is the first one used and describes this tension that we have in waiting. The word actually talks about this tension as in a rope. And it's great expectation or great tension in waiting. As the psalmist says, I will wait, this tension-type waiting for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. You see, waiting has been a part of following God throughout the text of Scripture. All of creation has been waiting for the promised one since the fall. As the Lord declared, there would be one born of a woman who will crush the head of the serpent. The waiting has begun. Eve, when she had her first child, Cain, she declared and cries out, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. I think that she thought that Cain was the promised one. She thought that Cain was the one who would crush the head of the serpent. But it wasn't Cain. Obviously, it wasn't Cain who killed his brother. But it was through the line of the one next, Seth. And through the many. She had to wait a long time. God's people have waited a long time. Abraham, he was promised a son, and a, na a great nation through his son. And he waited 25 years to have a son, yet not without hope did he wait upon the Lord. It was 400 years that God would bring his people up out of Egypt. They waited 400 years to return to the promised land. That's a long time in waiting, isn't it? They waited 40 years in the wilderness for a whole generation to die off until God brought them into the promised land with Joshua. It was 700 years after the prophecies about the Messiah in Isaiah that Jesus the King would come to fulfill the prophecies written about him. Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 8, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul uses that lingo of waiting and hoping and the groaning inwardly to be redeemed 
from these broken bodies. So our waiting or our hope is not based upon what we think. It's based upon the faithfulness of God. We wait for the king's return and the redemption of our bodies. Why? Because God has been faithful to do what he said he would do in the past. It's not a blind waiting. It's not a blind hope. It is a hope that is assured because of his word. Look at verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits And in his word, I hope. In his word, I hope. God's word has proven true time and time again. God promised that he would act, that he would be the one to redeem the broken world. To redeem the broken humanity. John chapter 1 verse 14 said it best. David actually used this this morning. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the one, the only son from the father full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we all have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one who has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The word became flesh. And dwelt among us. Verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. God in his faithfulness has shown himself faithful in the past. And he will show himself faithful in the future. He not only cares about your eternal destiny, but he cares about your tomorrow. Does he not? Verse 6. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Anytime the psalmist repeats himself, it's an important statement. An important statement that he wants to make is more than a watchman for the morning. A watchman waits for the morning. Why? Because he knows that the morning is coming. The watchman knows that tomorrow will come. You see, the the one who cries out to the Lord knows that the Lord hears their cry and will answer their cry. And in their waiting, they trust the faithfulness of God and his word. Just as the faithfulness of the morning will come, the one who waits for the Lord knows that he will come. 
So verse 7 says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him in plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Verse 7 says this, or this is our third point this morning. It says this, hope in the Lord is assured based upon his character. Hope in the Lord is assured based upon his character. There's a call here. The psalmist wants to call you to hope in the Lord. He calls Israel to hope in the Lord. The call is not based upon pulling up your bootstraps and sucking it up and saying, just hope in the Lord. No, that's not it. The call is based upon the steadfast love of the Lord God Almighty. It's based upon his plentiful redemption. So if you're asking yourself this morning, why can you have hope today? The answer is God is steadfast in his love. No matter how far you've strayed away from the Lord, God is faithful in his steadfast love. No matter what depths you are, if you cry out to him, he will hear you and he will come for you. The story that I'm reminded of is the story of the prodigal son. The story that comes to mind is the great steadfast love of the Lord as it's reflected in the father. As the son goes on his way taking the rich blessings that his father has bestowed upon him and he squanders it. Plunging to the depths of despair, eating from the pig's slop, he remembers his father. And in this he has hope. And he returns home, and guess who's waiting on him as he returns home? The father. And what does the father do? He wraps his, his clothes around him, and he kisses him. He gives him a big hug, and he celebrates with him. He feasts, and he dines with his father. He has fellowship with him. This is the steadfast love and faithfulness of God is displayed in this story. Even when we are wayward in our ways and outside of God's design and squandering the blessings in which he has given to us, God himself is faithful. So not only do we have hope in God's steadfast love, but we also have hope in his plentiful redemption. There it is in verse 7, and with him is plentiful redemption. To re redeem means to buy back. It 
has the connotation in these days that someone has come into trouble. Maybe they owe a debt or they couldn't, that, that they couldn't pay or there's a judgment that condemned them because of what they have done or they, they have become enslaved or imprisoned. And the idea is that God will pay the price to which they could not pay to be set free. What a passage of scripture. For with the love there is steadfast love, with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. You see, for a long time, humanity was waiting for God to provide his redemption. They were waiting for the Lord who would come. Emmanuel, God with us. God would take on flesh and dwell among men so that he could go to the cross. And upon that cross, he would set us free from the bondage of sin and death. And in that steadfast love of God and his faithfulness and in his plentiful redemption through Jesus Christ, we find freedom. So let me ask you these three questions. Self-diagnose these questions for yourself. What kind of darkness or place without hope are you now in your life that you need to cry out to the living God? Is there a place or places in your heart or in your life that you are without hope? Maybe it's as simple as you're single and you want to be married. You feel like you're without hope. Maybe it's much more than that. You're stuck into an addiction and you can't get rid of that. You feel in a place with you're without hope. Maybe it's something that you've done or somebody you've hurt. And you can't take that back. You're without hope. Maybe it's a sickness or a family member who's ill. What are some areas of your life that you believe you will have hopeful expectation that God will act? What are some areas in which you are going to ask the Lord with hopeful expectation that he hears you, but that he will respond. Maybe it's you, you really genuinely, like Dr. Lejack, want to reach a whole country. That's crazy, right? Maybe it's just you want to reach your neighbor. Maybe you have a, a prodigal son or daughter and you want them to come home. And you wait upon the Lord in hopeful expectation 
but he will act. What areas of your life have you seen God faithful in the past, even when it took a long time, right? Some of those areas can remind you of the hope that you have for But as you look at this psalm, and as you're reminded of the faithfulness of God and his steadfast love, I hope hope that you walk out of here with hope. Hope that God wants to do the impossible in your life. So maybe some, some in this room need to cry out to the Lord. Maybe some in this room need to be reminded of God's faithfulness in the past. Maybe some in this room need to just pray and begin to pray with hopeful expectation that God is the God of the universe, that he knows exactly what you need, but we need to ask him. And let us be a church that has hope. Not in a false, wishy-washy, toss-a-penny-in-a-fountain hope, but hope, an expectant hope that God will do what he's promised according to his word, that he will return one day and let us live in fear for his glory as the church, the people of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the truth of the scriptures that we find and we pray that uh, Psalm 130 would bring about hope for our lives. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the many who have gathered here today. May they not walk out of this room without hope, without a hope of eternal life with promise through Christ Jesus without hope that God will hear their prayers, without hope that the impossible circumstances in their life, that God will not only hear them, but will act upon them. Oh Lord, help us to have a childlike faith that pray and ask the Lord God Almighty to move. And he moves. Lord, we thank you for this morning and your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastors are up front. If you'd like to discuss something with them, we'd love to pray over you. Would you respond to the Lord's word this morning? And would you stand? And we're going to sing together in response to him.